Uh, it is uh, really nice to be with you and to be here with you in person this morning. Um, yeah, like we said a moment ago, I was last here in March 2020, so it does feel like we've been a bit of a full circle being with you now. I've had my first jab, I'm very excited, um, and it almost feels, even if there are other lockdowns on the horizon, that life after the pandemic is almost graspable now, so it's really nice to be back with you. Um, of course, the pandemic feels like we're maybe m moving towards the end for us, but for uh, many people that TFM works with, we're still in the midst of it. I actually realised that there are more people who've uh, had a jab in the Royal Borough of Kingston um, than in five African countries combined. And so I would really encourage you to continue praying um, and supporting our brothers and sisters around the world. Both the pandemic and the climate crisis, which you've been exploring over the past few weeks, expose huge injustice in our world. And as Anil challenged us um, in his talk last week, we're called to be people who love our neighbours and who stand with them um, against these kinds of injustice. So this is the last one in your Creation Care series, and it is an honour to be wrapping things up for you. You've covered a huge amount from uh, looking at our role and our sinful uh, engagement with creation. We've thought about uh, the role of loving our neighbours, of um, how this is God's good creation. And so today um, we're tying things up and I want to leave you feeling full of hope and inspired. So consider this morning an invitation an invitation into the mission of God, an invitation into hope and into possibility. So our reading today comes from John, one of the four gospels or accounts of Jesus' life. And John, out of all of them, is um, very well crafted. He was a skillful writer. Every word carries weight. And even the way he structures his text is full of meaning. And in John 20, we find this amazing account of what happens after Jesus' death. Mary goes to his tomb to pay her respects, to say her goodbyes. And when she gets there, his body is missing. If this week hadn't been bad enough for her, what has happened to his body? She rushes to her friends and says, they've taken it. I don't know where they've put him. This wasn't the plan. They come back, they have a look, they don't know what's going on, and she stays outside the tomb, sobbing. She's lost hope. Where has her teacher, her friend, gone? And as she sits outside crying, someone approaches her. She turns round, thinking she sees the gardener, um, and tells him what's going on. And then there's that beautiful moment where Jesus just says, Mary... And in that moment, she realizes who she's talking to. This isn't just the gardener for this graveyard, but this is her friend. He's back. And so she gets up, she wipes the tears away, and she runs towards him. Her friend has returned. Imagine that moment, the joy and relief she must have felt. Here was her friend. He hadn't gone. He hadn't lost. Here he was, returning to finish what he had started. This is our amazing good news. That interaction with Mary is beautiful because it is what God offers to each of us, isn't it? 
that when we come to know him, we hear him call us by name, that we, we, are, we discover that he knows us, he cares for us, and we need not fear. But this morning, I want to lift our eyes to something even bigger going on in the text than Mary's personal encounter with the risen Lord. Something John has been hinting at all the way through the passage. Maybe you spotted it. So he starts the chapter by telling us that it is early in the morning, on the first day of the week, and it is still dark. Does this remind you of anything? And then later in verse 15, he kind of teases us by saying Mary thinks she sees the gardener. Maybe you've made the link. If we can have the first slide up from the very beginning, John is pointing us back to Genesis. He's making the reader recall what happened at the very beginning. We're back at the first day of the week again. It's still dark. Light hasn't been created yet. And then in case we miss his first reference, he tells us again in um, verse 15. Oh, I need to click it one more time. There we go. Mary thinks she sees the gardener, and of course she does. She sees the God who walks in the cool of the evening breeze in Genesis 3. And then finally, in verse 22, Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit into his disciples. Where there was fear, he fills them with life and hope once more. Reminding us of that time in Genesis 2 where God breathed life for the first time into the Adam. John is hinting and showing that the resurrection is not just about our own personal connection with Jesus. This isn't just about Mary's personal moment with her teacher, but instead it has cosmic implications. All of creation was impacted as Jesus died. The skies went dark, the earth quaked, and then we all waited with bated breath, waiting to see what would happen. And as we enter the account of the resurrection, we see this amazing moment. John is telling us we are back at day one again. Everything that sin has broken and corrupted has a second chance. Jesus is at work making all things new. The theologian Pannenberg uh, describes this moment as one in which history pivots on its axis and begins in a new direction. Because Jesus is back, nothing can ever be the same. In Jesus' resurrection, we see a victorious king coming to reclaim everything that's been lost. The kingdom of heaven is on its way and nothing, not even death, could stop it. Paul spotted this too. In Colossians chapter 1, he writes, there you are, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that is Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, all things in, on earth or in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That what Jesus did for us in that moment is amazing for each of us as individuals, but it also has these huge implications for everything he's created, everything on earth and in heaven. 
So I want to leave you full of hope um, and with an invitation to join Jesus in this mission. As we look at the scale of the climate crisis, as you hear stories like uh, you heard from Norman last week um, in Honduras about the impact climate change is having, or reports about world leaders and businesses still failing to act with the urgency that we need, I want to encourage you to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. It can be hard to believe that anything other than catastrophic warming is possible, that perhaps all of this destruction of creation is just inevitable and there's nothing we can do about it. But in Jesus' resurrection, we see that those aren't true, that Jesus hasn't given up on us or anything he's made. Fear and anxiety in response to the science and our trajectory is valid and is something many of us probably carry already. But as resurrection people, we also know there is still hope. And our response shouldn't be one of apathy. Jesus hasn't given up. Here he is back. Day one of the week again. The beginning of making all things new. A second chance for all that he's made. I want to encourage you today that responding to the climate crisis in light of the resurrection is to respond with hopeful, living, and active lives. We're called to be ambassadors of the coming kingdom, those who model this resurrection hope to the world around us. So in the face of apathy, we can be a people of prayer who stand with our neighbors um, in solidarity. In the face of consumerism and convenience, we can be a community of simplicity and sacrifice. And in the face of political inaction, we can rediscover our prophetic voice as a church and speak up for justice. As Emmanuel said in his talk a few weeks ago, this is an invitation to partner with Jesus in his redeeming activity. To choose love, simplicity, sacrifice, to be ambassadors of this coming kingdom where justice reigns and all of life can flourish. In my work at Tear Fund, I hear stories of the huge impact climate change is already having, but also the total joy of hearing stories from churches all around the world who are responding with hope. From campaigning about plastic pollution in Malawi or in Brazil, to installing solar panels in Yemen, uh, creating green businesses in Haiti and in Nigeria, starting recycling centers in Pakistan, the church is on the move, modeling this restoration and resurrection hope that we have in really practical ways. And for each of us, we are invited to to respond with a living and active hope that we know hope is not lost because Jesus is alive. This is the God we worship, the God who is creator, sustainer, and also redeemer of all things. So as we conclude this series, I want to encourage you, let's be a people of living and active hope in really practical ways. You've heard loads of practical ways to do that during this series, from switching um, energy providers to uh, walking or cycling more than driving, or reducing our meat or our plastic, um, and using our voices to bring change. 
So many practical ways. There are two practical ways I want to offer you this morning. One is to offer your support to Andy and Graham and Lucy who are uh, championing this cause and thinking of what it looks like for us to be a community of people in Surbiton that are responding to this challenge whilst also reaching out to our communities. See how you can support what they're doing. I believe we're hearing from them um, in a moment as well. And the second thing I want to invite you into is to use your voice uh, to speak up for justice. I was at the G7 in Cornwall um, last weekend, I think, whenever it was recently, um, and I had the amazing privilege of working with a whole group of young Christians there, calling on leaders to take a stand um, and to respond to the climate crisis. Some of the young people who were involved in that video saying, as Christians, we should be moved by faith in response and in hope. Um, and they are carrying on their letter all the way to COP26 in November, which will be the biggest gathering of world leaders our country has probably ever seen to come and gather and talk about how we respond. And those young people in Cornwall wrote an open letter to those world leaders, and they're going to be taking it with them all the way to COP in November. And I would love to invite you to sign their letter with them. So we're all getting quite good at QR codes. Um, if you want to scan the QR code, you can scroll down um, and sign their letter, add your name to their letter and their campaign. Um, or if not, you can just search for Tear Fund Take a Stand. And you can stand with those young people who are saying, actually, I'm going to be part of living and acting out my hope in Jesus. So that's my invitation to you. In the face of the scale of this crisis, let's be a people of hope who are also active in responding. Because Jesus is at work and he invites us to join in with him in his redeeming activity in this world. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for that moment that each of us get to experience where you call us by name and we discover how much you love us. Thank you for the hope that we find in you for ourselves, but also for all things. And we just pray, God, would you help us to share this hope with the world around us in really practical ways, that they might discover that you are the hope for the world. Use us. Um, in your work to redeem and restore all that is broken. In Jesus' name. Amen.